Everyone, this is the Free Thought Project podcast. I'm John Vibes. I'm joined here by Jason Bassler and Matt Savoy. And today we're going to get into a number of topics, including the media circus of the Bush funeral and everything that the media missed while that was happening. Before we get into all that, though, I want to just take a moment to tell everyone to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're now available on iTunes, Spotify, Podcast Addict, a whole bunch of different apps. If we are not on your app of choice, let us know, and we'll try to get that worked out. We're trying to build this Free Thought Project 2.0 as we go here. So let's get into it. I'm sure that everybody has noticed George Bush Sr. has died. Now, it's an interesting situation because you would think a a war criminal dead would be a step in the right direction, but no, not really, because there's 10 million to take his place. Of course, I'm exaggerating there, but there's plenty to take his place. And not only that, but we have this whole cult of personality around the death of somebody who was not very popular in the public sphere until quite recently. So it's just been really crazy. What have you guys been seeing this week? They've been worshiping this guy all week long. He's a literal war criminal. This isn't just conspiracy theory. Like the Human Rights Watch showed the actual crimes that he committed during the 90s in in Iraq. You know, he he, just like his son did, he invaded Iraq on false pretenses with made-up information, claimed there was weapons of mass destruction, and he dropped 88,000 tons of bombs on these people and, you know, killed countless women and children, innocent women and children, and he's been plastered all over TV, radio, and internet this entire week as the mainstream media praised their ruler, you know, this guy that, that, that murdered people for a living in the White House, and that's his legacy. His legacy is not some charity that he started or, or some handshakes he made with Barack Obama or, or Bill Clinton or any of that or his own son. That's not this man's legacy. This man's legacy is blood and death and lots of lots of dead bodies are on his hands and he should not be being celebrated, but that just shows the state of propaganda and the power of propaganda to make people worship very bad people. I don't know. There's this weird cultural belief that we're not supposed to talk badly about people who died, I guess especially when you're put on the pedestal of being a president of the country. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're morally exempt. And I don't know, it's definitely strange that there's been so much praise. It's it's almost like the media is turning a blind eye towards all this stuff. Just a couple weeks ago, there was more information that came out about how he was allegedly uh, groped more women. Apparently, there was one that just a few months ago he apologized for after groping her. She was 16 years old. It was like a 2003 photo op. So it's it's strange because, you know, the Me Too movement's been so prevalent, so powerful within the media. It's strange that all of a sudden, even that, these, you know, allegations of groping 16-year-olds are just being swept under the rug. It's true, man. And I have a specific example of that, the 2003 groping that you mentioned. The girl was 16. Her name was Rosalind Corrigan. We actually put that on the website. Uh, Johnny Liberty wrote that article. They mentioned that. 
and we got an email from somebody who was called us snowflakes because um, we we mentioned that George Bush groped a 16 year old girl and and said that oh well that's just the you know he grew up in a time of when men could do that to women and everything and and it, it, there was no big deal and you guys are liberal snowflakes because you mentioned that and he you know this this girl like. <laughs> He, he just went on and on and defended this dude. I mean, granted, yeah, grabbing a, the 16-year-old girl's butt's not nearly as bad as dropping bombs, but this guy wasn't talking about dropping bombs at all. You know, this he was just, he was condoning Bush's behavior based on how it was allegedly acceptable in his lifetime when he was younger to, to go around and, and grope women. I mean, but this isn't even a woman. This is a 16-year-old girl, and Bush admitted to it and apologized to it, and, um... That's pretty creepy, man. If I mean, if 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 this guy that emailed us and was standing up for George Bush, I, I mean, I wonder if he has a daughter and if he would be like, oh well, I guess since you know he's seventy and he grew up in a time when it was okay to to grope women, if he would like just allow some seventy year old dude to to grope his sixteen year old daughter, you know, I, I, that's probably very unlikely that that would happen. You know, I, myself, if somebody groped my daughter, I would I would lay waste to their face repeatedly and uh, but. This guy, you know, this that just shows the statism and the the effect of the propaganda on people to be able to defend somebody like George Bush. Not just defend him, but as we've seen this week, he's being worshipped in the media. Yeah, it is very strange that it's all of these uh, liberals and, and leftists, he was their enemy forever. Anybody with the last name Bush was Satan. The only conspiracy theories that I could ever get them to, people on the left to believe, were the stuff about George Bush's grandparents being Nazis, which is, of course, true. But now all they've all forgotten about that. The attention span of these people is crazy how all of a sudden the Bushes are okay and would just forget about all those terrible policies because oh they were good at acting presidential they were good at putting on a show and making it look like these scumbags are respectable people you know <laughs> to show how far back this uh, bush propaganda goes i mean these people have been in politics and controlling the narrative for centuries Franklin Pierce, if you look up who Franklin Pierce is, he was the 14th US president. He was such a terrible president that he was the I think he was the only president in U.S. history not to get his own party's nomination for a second term. Now, if you go and do your research, you'll realize that Franklin Pierce is actually Barbara Bush's great-great-grandfather. And so that's how long these people have been, you know, in, in politics and in this and running this country. And they did, they've been doing a, you know, a historically terrible job at it. And yet we're still worshiping them. And that brings up the point of how much money that it just cost every all the taxpayers to worship this guy. George Bush's funeral, just the paid holiday for the federal workers, cost U.S. taxpayers estimate an estimated half of a billion dollars for Congress to be off and the U.S. Postal Service to be off. That is utterly insane. And that's not counting any of the militaristic displays, any of these like the flyovers, the all the security, all the the... The police, the Air Force One flying all of Bush's family back and forth at $200,000 an hour that it cost to operate. That doesn't count any of that. that just to put the just to get to the federal holiday that we had to, to celebrate this man's funeral, it cost the taxpayers a half a billion dollars. That is insanity and another prime example of how propagandized people are and how willing they are to be fleeced and raped in the name of their overlords. Well, that and the selective media outrage that the media orchestrates, you know, because what, just a month ago, we had these same Republicans and conservatives who are 
literally worshipping this this war criminal in his passing, you know, parading his dead body around to multiple cities, too. I mean, we haven't even gotten into that, but, you know, these are all the same people that were just last month complaining about this, quote, invasion by migrant immigrants who are supposed to be, you know, costing the country millions of dollars with entitlements, yet nobody's even <laughs> batting an eye at half a billion dollars. Like I said, you know, there's this weird cultural belief that after somebody's passed, you can't talk bad about them. But I think if anything, if society, we would actually be even more critical because then that's how we learn. That's how we move forward, you know, instead of just this blind worship just because he was a president. And here's the thing. It's okay to talk bad about the dead if they were shot by a cop. Thinking back on all these stories we've covered, how many times have they posted the picture of of the mugshot for the time the guy got caught with a gram of weed, got shot for no reason, or just posting the Instagram photo of them giving the finger or something like that and being like, look at this terrible person who's now dead and we're going to paint them as a, a gangster or whatever. They only use that when it's somebody who is on their side. It's, it's one of them tactics. Great point, Vibes. And speaking of the drug war, I, I did a little research on Bush this morning. He was a huge proponent of the drug war. He, you know, with his very first policy speech as president, he chose to focus on the drug policy and the cocaine epidemic. And he even lifted up a plastic bag of cocaine, which he said that a few days ago, drug enforcement agents apparently had uh, seized and arrested a man across the street from the White House who was selling it. And the crazy thing about it is it later came out that the same crack sale that he mentioned was something that was set up through the DEA. The DEA agents manipulated a 19-year-old high school student. He actually didn't even know where the White House was and had to be given directions. He was arrested and sentenced to 10 years in prison. And that was just for like this ploy, this, this show that kind of blew my mind, and that's just one of many. I mean, there, we can go down the list, right? Read my lips, there'll be no new taxes. I mean, that's another one. There was plenty of scandals and issues that he had in, this, in his lifetime, but, you know, all those go out the window, apparently, once he passes away. Yeah. The typical uh, modus operandi for when a politician dies, you're not allowed to talk bad about him. And, I mean, it's not like we, we wait till the politician dies to talk bad about him. We, we constantly talk bad. Not necessarily talk bad, but we, we point out their corruption and report on their corruption. It's not like we just sit around and make fun of them. We actually call out their crimes, and, and that's important to do, even when they're alive and when they're dead. I mean, because if you stop calling those crimes out, then that means they get away with them, and that's dangerous. Yeah. So, yeah, as you mentioned, the drug war, and um, that's part of Bush's legacy as well. You know, like right before him, Ronald Reagan started there, and Bush Bush continued that, and Bush continued to throw people in jail, and cops were killing those people, and those people after they were killed were talked about bad in the press. You know, they were all their entire criminal record and criminal history was put out there, even if some of them were unarmed and or hadn't harmed anybody else. They all their names were run through the mud, and um, here we have a person who's responsible for the deaths of thousands of innocent women and children in Iraq, and um, and the media is not saying any of that. No one's saying any of that in on in the mainstream at all. And uh luckily there's you know, they didn't they haven't censored talking bad about him yet on Facebook and on Twitter, you know, so the people that are awake, they were able to, you know, put this information out there and challenge the paradigm. But uh people called it like an insult to his death or all this and you know, I I, I think celebrating a man who killed thousands of people it's who what does that say about those people who he killed 
You know, that is that not an insult to their deaths and the thousands of uh, the people that have cancer from the depleted uranium that Bush dropped in Iraq? I mean, what is that to those people? Is that not disrespectful? And, you know, it, it makes me wonder, really, what it, things are going to look like when it's Trump's funeral. So, like, is everybody going to forget about all this shit and, and be like, oh, what a great, great man, great president, such a shame, don't talk ill of the dead. It's hard to imagine, but that was hard to imagine, like, when Bush was in office. And I remember when baby Bush was in office and he was the joke of the world defaced pictures of him were on the cover of every punk rock album everywhere every joke t-shirt everywhere they even had a, a show making fun of him he said that i'll go down i may not be popular now but i'll go down in history as a great president and it's only taken 10 years and everybody's forgotten all that you know so how how long is it going to take people to forget about trump I think when Barack Obama dies, there'll probably be people like weeping at his, you know, like mass crying and and throwing themselves on his on his casket and completely ignoring the fact that he continued a drug war that locked up tens of thousands of uh, black people for crimes of possessing marijuana and and other drugs that where there was no victim involved in those in the in their charges and they were all still thrown in jail, filled prisons, filled private prisons, and continued the wars and bombed people, bombed children. Um, began the 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 assault on Yemen with Saudi Arabia, which is now a, a genocide taking place over there with the aid of the U.S. and Saudi Arabia. All these people, they all have the same exact legacy and of war and destruction and mass murder. And all we do is is celebrate them. And they all get together once a year, and they all they take their pictures and they shake their hands. And they were they were enemies when they were all in office of the others. But once they get out of office, it's like they just join this club and they prance around and, and support the wars that keep going on and take these photo opportunities. And it, that's maybe that's all part of wiping Americans' memories is these the propaganda of ex-presidents and how they're paraded around as like these caring old men that serve their country and and uh, they just were, were told that they're like grandpas now and, and now that we just... We have to go get past their crimes that they committed in office, and now we just think of them as happy old men. And yay, look how cute they're all together! It's amazing, you know that. Oh, look at that! These five presidents together, and no, that's bullshit, man. These people are mass murderers. They killed people. Their their decisions that they made to go and start wars have killed Americans. It's killed thousands of Americans, thousands, tens of thousands of innocent people in the Middle East, and laid havoc to the rest of the world economically and. Through, through tariffs and, and sanctions and pretty disheartening to see the mass worship of that on, displayed. And I think that the Bush funeral brought this to a head this week and, and it just, it was disgusting to watch. It's a deep level of propaganda and indoctrination, you know, I mean, it's on display, but it only reinforces it at the same time. And it's almost that unity of like, yeah, there's a bunch of different war criminals, aka, you know, presidents of the United States together. And somehow that's supposed to be, you know, united, we're stronger, whatever. There's that, you know, mentality. But to be honest, every time I happen to turn on, you know, the, the news or look on, online, it just seemed like everything happened to be about Bush, what was going on next, how much money they're spending, uh, where he was being paraded around next, or his dead body anyway. And the only thing I could really think of while seeing all this was, man, this is a sick cult. Like, this 
is the cult of statism. This is this goes deep. This goes. This is a religion. This goes deeper than a religion. But uh, it's certainly disheartening. It's crazy. It's even crazier that most people don't see it. I mean, yeah, there's certainly people who are obviously our podcast listeners, people who read our website and whatnot. They they get it. They understand. But the mainstream, you know, the the mainstream, the the majority of people just tend to look at this as totally normal. Exactly. And and even and even poor people, you know, that this five hundred million dollars could have gone to, instead it went to paying for a funeral for a mass murderer. Now, you know what a half a billion dollars could do? There's five thousand homeless people in Washington D.C. on average, you know, at, at any given time. Five hundred million dollars could have put them all in a mansion, you know, or well, maybe not a mansion, but all in a in a house, you know, for they could have bought them all a house. I mean, not saying that's what we would do with it, but. It just it, that's it. It's a it's an incredible waste and and just like a kick in the face to this to the same people that worship it, and that's what's so crazy about it. You know, these people are like they're corrupt liars. They're they're proven corrupt, lying murderers, and everybody knows that on the surface. But they just it's this cognitive dissonance where they know that they're being ruled by criminals and gangsters and thugs and murderers and warmongers and tyrants. Yet at the exact same time they worship them at the it's like Stockholm syndrome where they the people worship their captors and I think that's what that is you know that's maybe that's the underlying root of statism and to be able to celebrate George Bush like they did I mean that there has to be some kind of illness or underlying mental cognitive impairment. Well, yeah, it all reinforces the whole paradigm, you know. Uh, to, to respect these people and, and venerate them and, the, and these holidays that we have around them and just all the, the public, like you said, the public fanfare when they leave office. And it just basically, ra- it, it changes their legacy and it solidifies their legacy as what they want it to be as opposed to their policies. And then in all reality, the policies go far beyond these presidents. Like there are obviously so many parts and people at play, but by all intents and purposes, they do have the power to change things once they get in there if they want to risk getting killed and stuff like that. Um, Personally, I would take that risk. You know what I mean? (laughs) So when these presidents run for office, that's essentially what they're promising people half the time. Is they're promising that they're going to do things that'll that'll put them at that kind of risk, and then they get in there and then they don't do those things. That that is definitely, uh, I think, the the true motivation between all the media circus is to reinforce the paradigm and to solidify the legacy of these people. So none of them go down in a negative light. Because if any of them go down in a negative light, then that cast doubt upon the system as a whole. Because who wants to think that our system is so broken that people like George Bush and Bill Clinton and Donald Trump get elected into office? That's a great point. If you make one of them look bad, then you cast down the whole system. That's that's exactly right. And I wonder that that makes me wonder, like, what well, what's going to happen when uh, when Ron Paul dies? You know, he was uh, he was anti-establishment. He was against all those, but he was a hero. You know, I mean, he's he's responsible for why I'm having this conversation with you guys right now. You know, in 2007, he, he woke me up to to this in, insanity that we call government. And but he he challenged their paradigm. He challenged the establishment. So when Ron Paul dies, do you think he's going to get a Senator McCain type setting off? And I mean, he's a veteran. He's a doctor. He was a congressman for 30 years. And 
do you think that they're going to celebrate Ron Paul like that? I mean, he first off, he probably already has it in his will not to spend one single tax dollar on his funeral. You know, mm-hmm. he, he gave back all of his uh, office money and everything, like all of his ad- administrative funds and everything. But yeah, do you, do you guys think that they would celebrate Ron Paul like like they're like they did McCain and like they they're doing George H W right now? They're going to do the same thing that they did when he was running for president, and that's ignore it. I was going to say the same thing, the same treatment they gave him during the debates. That's so sad, isn't it? Here's a guy that was pushing for peace, pushing for freedom for all of Americans, was like the antithesis of a tyrant. And yeah, he'll go out with Here, a, a, like a, a, a dud firecracker. <laughs> here's, a, here's another question. What, what happens if, uh, when Ross Albright dies, if, if he is, especially if he isn't freed? That's even crazier. That's probably somebody that they will vilify. It'll be like Charles Manson dying in jail. Ross Albrecht was the founder of the website Silk Road. Just for our listeners who don't know or are familiar with him, he was given a double life sentence for creating a website that facilitated uh, peaceful, voluntary interactions without the state being involved at all. And for that, he was given, what was it, two life sentences plus 40 years or something crazy like that. I think the drug dealer that did the most volume of heroin on the website, he did only 10 years. And as a side note, uh, I will say that uh, I saw in the news this week that drug dealers on the dark web, basically kind of the the marketplace idea that he was one of the founders of, allegedly, they are voluntarily banning fentanyl from their marketplaces now and i'm pretty sure that their you know their review processes that they use on those websites are very very good and uh, you know they, they work very well so i i have a feeling they're going to do a better job of doing that than law enforcement does uh which is just an interesting side note um i know that matt you covered some updates on the 9-11 issue this week i just took a look at it earlier before the show but i think that uh you probably have a better uh understanding yeah sure so they the it was that it actually it actually happened at the end of november uh there was a a group of lawyers of attorneys all who were trying to figure out the actual story behind 9-11 and what brought down the three buildings. They're called the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry. And um, they submitted a demand for the U.S. government to hear evidence that explosives were used to bring down the World Trade Centers. I mean, everybody who saw Tower 7 fall and watched any of the towers fall, it do, it looked like they were a controlled demolition. They fell at free, near free fall speed right into their own footprint, just like a controlled demolition. Never in history has any building ever collapsed like that before or since from office fires and uh, or from fires at all or even being hit by planes. They've never never done that before. So there's lots of engineers and architects got together and they started this movement called Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. Anyway, so they all this all came to a head at the end of November and it's one of like the probably the biggest move in 9-11 like for the push for 9-11 truth since since the inception of that movement and it's because the government is now officially responding to the request to, or the demand to show to present this evidence of explosives and that's never happened before so there's going to be a grand jury a special grand jury that's going to actually hear evidence uh, of the explosives from hundreds of experts on the matter this lawyers committee put together 
extensive evidence that showed the explosives were used to destroy the all three World Trade Centers. There's like they did scientific uh, laboratory analysis of the dust and found evidence of high tech explosives in there and or incendiaries, and that they they have uh, testimony from countless firsthand like by first responders that that they heard explosions. They actually have expert analysis of seismic evidence that explosions occurred at the at the World Trade Center towers prior to their collapse and prior to the airline impacts airplane impacts this is huge i mean that the government is actually going to hear this evidence and it will show like how just you know since there's so many people that have left this establishment that have, were complicit and skewing the investigation you know how bush and cheney they 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 wouldn't agree to get interviewed publicly and they wanted to be interviewed together and it was crazy like they they the 911 commission was railroaded at every turn and so none of those people are in government anymore. And so now we're, we're there's going to be a grand jury about some really crazy things that, that were like once conspiracy theories. But um, the government's officially recognizing the possibility that explosives were used in bringing down the World Trade Center towers. And that is that's historical. And that was not even a blip on any mainstream network, not even on alternative media. You think that that would be something that... Uh, that Infowars would have been all about, you know, when when 9-11 happened, I mean, Alex Jones was out there on his bullhorn screaming at all these people saying Bush did it and the government did it, it was an inside job, blah, blah. Now they're dead silent, you know, because they have to keep all their Trump pumpers happy and so they're not even reporting on it. And I mean, that's just huge news and it's not, it, I'm, I, mean, I haven't seen any reports of it except for ours, you know. Yeah, us and the architects and engineers are probably all right. And that, yeah, that's mind blowing for sure. And I guess the, the real question is, is like, you know, will they take this seriously? Will they take this as legitimate evidence and actually move forward with some prosecution or, you know, actually try to make something of this? Because we know that in the, the past, I mean, like you've already mentioned, it's been railroaded, it's been, you know, they've done everything they can. Um, NIST is, as well as uh, accomplice in that whole process, you know, with all their faulty studies. I mean, I'm certainly not a scientist or an engineer, but, I mean, I've seen enough information specifically by the architects and engineers from 9-11 Truth to really dismiss and debunk a lot of the NIST bullshit that was put out there. So, yeah, I mean, what do you guys think? you think that the government will be compelled to actually, if there's enough evidence, to actually do something about this? I, I mean, I'd like to hope so. It, I mean, just to be clear, this we don't know what happened that day. We're not, we're not, we're not claiming to know exactly what happened. But there's a lot of questions that the government has refused to answer, and this is a big one of them that they might actually answer. And I don't know if that's gonna, if that's gonna happen. You know, I, I like the, maybe this attorney might be fired who for accepting this this official inquiry, and maybe the special grand jury may never happen. So, uh, but I mean, by law, they're 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 required to respond to it and they've sent the letter back saying that they are so that that's at least in the works right now I, what's going to come of it is i don't know but uh, the fact that they even responded is historical yeah i think having some kind of formal recognition of this is a pretty big deal as far as what the government would do about it uh who who knows you know i but i do think that any kind of formal recognition recognition of evidence like this is a big win for people who are trying to actually figure out what went on beyond the the media story and the obvious cover up that happened right yeah yeah to be clear just to reiterate matt's point i mean the official story is what we specifically have issues with i mean we don't know what entity 
you know, conspired if, if there was to, to have an inside job that's pure speculation. Um, as to what exactly happened, as Matt mentioned, I mean, the, the towers pancaked into their own footprint and near freefall speed. That's certainly highly unusual historically. There's a lot of questions, and it is certainly a, a good thing that there is some progress being made here, even if it is incremental. And, you know, I guess we're just a bunch of kooks and conspiracy theorists for even publishing this, right, for even <laughs> following the news. And that's probably why we were one of the people that, you know, one of the few people that did it. It's like this this information has become taboo. Questioning an official story about 9-11 will get you loopholed into just about any crazy group like Flat Earthers and 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 aliens and everything else, you know, and that's that's what this has become you know we, we're scared they're scared to ask these actual questions i mean hats off to these guys at lawyers committee for 9-11 inquiry and architects and engineers for 9-11 truth these guys have have devoted nearly a decade now to to trying to put their expertise where it matters and and just to get to fight for the victims and the victims families and figure out what the hell happened that day and it and it looks like they're finally making some progress there's that's not a small organization architects and engineers I, like there are thousands of engineers and architects who've signed the petition and put their legitimate like degreed stamp of disapproval on the on the the official story that these buildings were brought down by office fire so it's amazing i, I like I'm, i just wanted to thank those guys for doing that they've they've uh devoted a lot of time and energy to this with knowing that there's absolutely no prospect for payment or anything else just just to get out the truth that takes us to the next story where we got some formal recognition in another case that was deemed a conspiracy theory for a long time. But unfortunately, there wasn't any justice similar to what we're kind of expecting in the 9-11 case. And uh, listeners to the Free Thought Project podcast will be familiar with the story of Jeffrey Epstein. If you're not, go back and listen to the podcast we did with Derek Bros, where he talked about his new documentary taking down jeffrey epstein uh if you want to dig deep into that case but anyway he was facing a civil lawsuit and this is basically long story short a billionaire who is affiliated with uh the clintons the trumps left right uh politicians and the royal family and elitists of all different types uh he's a notorious sex offender uh he has victimized many many young children over the years and so he was facing a civil lawsuit for aggressive tactics to harass a lawyer that was representing these victims and to try to silence him essentially and prevent him from going after him and a lot of people were kind of looking forward to this this court date because the victims were going to be able to speak about the situation they were going to be able to face jeffrey epstein directly so to avoid that he ended up settling out of court i'm sure which costed a lot of money and he gave a really really weird statement which i have pulled up and i'm actually going to read right now to and mr edwards is the lawyer while Mr. Edwards was representing clients against me, I filed a lawsuit against him in which I made allegations about him that, that the evidence conclusively proves were absolutely false. The truth was that his aggressive investigation and litigation style was highly effective and troublesome for me. The lawsuit I filed was my unreasonable attempt to damage his business 
and reputation and cause Mr. Edwards to stop pursuing cases against me. It did not work. Despite my efforts, he continued to do an excellent job for his clients and through his relentless pursuit held me responsible. Admitting that I was wrong and that the things I said to try to harm Mr. Edwards' reputation as a trial lawyer were false. I sincerely apologize for the farce and false and harmful allegations I made and hope some forgiveness for my acknowledgement of wrongdoing. Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> what the... F- yeah. So, I mean, what, his lawyers are making him say something like that? He's obviously not apologizing or admitting any guilt or wrongdoing in the rape cases, just the fact that he harassed this lawyer because the lawyer was doing a really good job at proving that he was a rapist. Right, right. So that's that's just it's so crazy. Acknowledge that, and and then apologize because he tried to sue Bradley Edwards uh, yeah, for. I mean, that's definitely strange. I, I just wonder what the incentive is. Yeah, yeah. It's it's well. I I feel like making the statement may have been a part of the deal. Uh, I, now, see, I'm just I'm just speculating here. I'm not sure if that's true. But it, it may be possible that he had to make a statement to the court or to the lawyer or something like that in relation to his settling out of court. Possibly, since he did pursue that frivolous lawsuit against Bradley Edwards. And maybe that the, this was part of the settlement or this statement was part of the settlement, maybe something like that. I could see that happening. I mean, but the the fact that they settled out of court and none of the none of this information came out is pretty tragic you know everybody all these people who have uh been waiting on this information and the uh, the victims they just some untold sum of money was shoved out there and it silenced everybody and yeah jeffrey epstein's a billionaire you know he can he can throw money wherever he wants to but it was my understanding that many of the victims uh had already been paid and they all they were doing was suing to get this information out there so how exactly that he was able to silence them with more money is is pretty I don't know, speculative. I don't know exactly what what caused that, but Epstein's ties to uh, Prince Andrew are were going to come out during this trial, and actually, the famous image of one of the whistleblower girls uh, who was allegedly raped by Epstein and several other people was uh, submitted as uh, an exhibit into this court case, and it shows it's actually an underage girl um, with. Prince Andrew, and he's got his uh, arm around her waist, and where you wouldn't hold somebody's somebody's you know little girl like that, and they so that shows so much credibility and ties him directly ties Prince Andrew, the the son of the Queen of England, directly to Epstein and and these uh, allegations of of child rape and everything else, and so yeah, Epstein's a billionaire could have easily paid this off, but it goes far deeper than that. I mean, perhaps Prince Andrew was also worried about this trial going public and dragging his name through the mud once again because he's here with a a whistleblower witness, Virginia Roberts. And there's photographic evidence that he was with her when she was underage. And she's the one responsible for all these lawsuits against against Jeffrey Epstein. And then, yeah, that's just some crazy shit right there, how it goes all the way up to this royal family and there's actually photographic evidence and this was all going to come out in this trial. And then... Right when it was about to start, boom, they shut it down. Pretty crazy, man. Just a reminder, you know, once again, we've been called kooks for covering this type of information for years now, whether it be celebrities or powerful media moguls or, yeah, I mean, even the royal family. I mean, it extends that far. So, I mean, the fact that, you know, we've 
been chastised and ridiculed over the years for this. It's not even something that we necessarily wanted to cover. We just realized that there was a lack of coverage in in the marketplace, and uh, our audience was desperate for this information. I mean, it's gruesome. It's it's terrible stuff. Don't get me wrong, but people want to know what's going on. They want to know how deep this corruption goes. So there there is an important place for the Free Thought Project, regardless of you know how the mainstream media and the establishment wants to smear us and, and try to take us out of the equation. Yeah, absolutely. And it's necessary, obviously, organizations like this. And I think that the tide is turning. And uh, I brought some stories to your attention this week where it's it's not just alternative media anymore that is facing censorship. Now, uh, you know, Facebook is continuing to go farther and now other social media platforms are continuing to go farther. And this week, in the, in the same week, Tumblr announced that they were going to uh, ban all pornography, which is a large percentage of their user base, I'm sure. Uh, and then Facebook announced that they were going to randomly ban all these terms, uh, a lot of them relating to uh, the LGBT community, uh, uh, like... Uh, sexual orientation, slangs for them, stuff like that. Um, It's very strange that they're going in that direction. Uh, It may have something to do with the uh, FOSTA-SESTA law that passed uh, a couple months ago, but I personally think that this this could be huge for innovation. And, of course, I am an activist on this front when it comes to sexual freedom. I don't want to see anything like this censored. However, now they're encroaching into normal people's lives. It's not just the conspiracy theorists anymore. It's really easy for them to marginalize conspiracy theorists, quote-unquote activists, people who are speaking out against the establishment. And, you know, it's strange. Once you hit people uh, where they're having fun like once you try to take away people's fun or their interests on that level they're way more concerned about that so they're paying way more attention to their their favorite football team their favorite video game their favorite porn star than they are going on in the news and stuff like that and as activists we can get mad about that uh but i i think that it's something that can be leveraged and of course we are fighting for their freedom too. You know what I mean? We're we're fighting for the freedom to have fun just as much as we're fighting for the freedom to end drone strikes and, and mass incarceration. So I think that now is, is a very important time, especially for the alternative media. We're going to have a lot of allies coming into this fight against censorship soon, I think. I believe the same thing is going to happen. I mean, when you go start going after normal people and in, in screw up their lives by disallowing them from talking about their openly about their sexual relationships or whatever then that's gonna that's gonna start pissing off a lot more people and hopefully that would be the an impetus behind a mass migration off of the platform this looks like facebook is it's almost like they're deliberately trying to ruin themselves you know like they can't people can't say if they're a top or a bottom anymore you know that's against facebook's terms you, you can't you can't discuss sex positions or fetish scenarios or sexual preference or anything anymore on on facebook if you're an individual now if you're teen vogue 
you can advocate uh, to children to uh, have anal sex and without condoms. <laughs> and uh, that was like a big story that like, came out um, this week, I believe, that Teen Vogue, you know, they advocated for, which there's nothing wrong with anal sex. I'm not saying anything that is anything's wrong with it, but they, they published a guide on how to have anal sex for children. And they did not mention at all to use a condom. And anal sex is one of the ways that it's much easier to facilitate the spread of HIV that way. Hey, they they did a uh, an anal sex seminar at this rave I went to, and I do remember that the condom was like the first thing on the list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so important. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Teen Vogue is not not worried about that, and they can talk about that. But um, if you're an individual who would like to discuss these things openly on their platform, that's not tolerated. Speaking of anal sex. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tumblr just signed its own death warrant, huh? Getting rid of porn? I mean, <laughs> I think that site's notoriously known specifically being for porn. I, I mean, there's obviously other uses for it. but And yeah, Facebook as well. I mean, their definition and interpretation of what they consider acceptable speech just keeps getting more narrower and narrower. I mean, it, they're basically bleeding themselves out at this point. There's a golden rule, you know, you don't fuck with the user experience, and that's what they're doing. This is what all these major social media platforms are doing, and they're basically shooting themselves in the foot. So, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, Matt. Let's hope that this is just another wave of a push for people to, to exodus these platforms and go over to places like Minds, which actually in our last episode, podcast number five, we interviewed Bill Ottman, the founder of Minds, so definitely check that out. Yeah, I, I really think that a change is coming because I've been looking at the responses to this. The community around sexual activism, around the LGBTQ community, that is extremely strong, well-represented, and they have a uh, media moral high ground right now. The stuff I've been reading in the past week, they are coming out for a free and open Internet. And it's it, it's good, too, because I, I've been looking. They're not just like just saying that this is the line, that this is where it started. They're they're overall saying that we want zero moderation, zero algorithms. Of course, there's plenty out there that are. I would say confused about the hate speech issue or hate speech issue and the ramifications of that, but they're seeing the deterioration of the internet, and now it's becoming a mainstream issue. And it, I also think it's just crazy that we're still having this conversation around sexuality now in the in these times. As I say in a lot of work, my work, and I'm going to be saying in more of it. Uh, in in the coming years is that we are still an extremely sexually repressed society and i i heard something really interesting on a podcast i can't quote it because i can't remember but i i don't want to take credit for it and it was that if you think about all of the really really popular insults and ways to degrade people it's all related to a sexual act or a sexual body part if you think about it like the the insults that you could throw at somebody and i'm not gonna like you know do a george carlin thing here where i i say all the words but you could just think of them and you know what i'm saying but yeah i i think that those people are 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 ready to fight in this and i, I think that that is going to be the bridge too far where they just fly too close to the sun on this and and totally destroy their credibility with everybody 
as much as nobody wants to talk about it, everybody is a, a sexual being unless they choose not to be. This is this is going to f- flip people out, and I think that we should definitely leverage that instead of saying, "Where were you when we got shut down?" You know, it's like the the old quote that's um, first they came for the Jews, or and I said nothing, and you know that's that's how it goes. It's incremental, and it and it, it eventually you will be deemed inappropriate and will have to be silenced or censored. And now that's what we're seeing. You know, these people, they, they, uh, they branded Facebook, uh, puritanical fuckery <laughs> because they can't mention their sexual orientation or, or sexual positions. And it's cause it's all seen as, uh, as solicitation. Now, if you, if you speak openly about your sexual preferences, I didn't see that. And if it is solicitation, then it's definitely tied to the FOSTA SESTA thing. Then it's definitely the government's fault. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that because that's these the new regulations, which they pulled all these the back like back pages and all these and the Craigslist stuff that they that they the people were using to hook up on. They got rid of all that because it they said it facilitated sexual trafficking. But no, the government facilitates sexual trafficking by keeping the sex trade in dark alleys and in cars and street corners instead of allowing it to be legitimate businesses and. That's a direct function of it. Now, yeah, I guess this is the the, the more regulation incre- uh, creeping up, and and I, I'm guessing it. This the same rules are probably apply on Twitter as well. If it if it is an actual federal um, move, well, of course it's okay if you uh, film the act and uh, give government a cut in taxes, then it's totally legit. Yeah, if you distribute it on DVD and online, and then get you pay taxes on it, then it's fine. It's uh, and even the most like stuff that even mo- most prostitutes probably wouldn't do, <laughs> you know, like the like some of this, some of that porn is just disgusting, and and um, but it's all one hundred percent legal that way. But don't expect logical consistency from the government. Right. Exactly. Yeah, well, I guess that's a good place to wrap up for this week, but I'm sure that next week we'll have more bullshit that the media is trying to feed people and and more stuff that they're leaving behind, and I'm sure that there will be more censorship news as well. In the meantime, if everybody could rate, review, subscribe on your podcast player of choice, and maybe a couple of other players that you don't even subscribe to just to help us out. Until next time, live free. Peace.